Welcome to the Aligned Women Podcast, a podcast to empower women in chiropractic to grow practices that work for their families. I'm Dr. Danielle Eaton. And I'm Dr. Shauna Dingman. We're two moms who are navigating the journey of life and practice just like you. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Aligned Women podcast. I'm Dr. Shauna Dingman and I've got Dr. Danielle Eaton with me today. And Danielle, what's our topic for today? This is a good one. The question that I've been asked a couple times this week is what can I do to enjoy practice again? I'm feeling burnt out and I just don't know what to do or what to change. And so with a couple of women in our community asking this question, I thought, why not do a podcast episode about this? Yeah, burnout. That's got to be one um, of the biggest topics we talk about in our mama chiropractors and aligned women communities, isn't it? Absolutely. And you and I have both gone through phases of varying degrees of feeling burnt out or wondering, like, what can we do to enjoy practice more? And I would say that there was, there was one really pivotal um, phase I went through in my 10 years of practice so far where... I was like, I'm done with chiropractic. I'm not going to be a chiropractor anymore. And it was really sad and depressing because I thought I wasted all that time in school and I still have student loan debt from all that time in school. And my career in chiropractic was so much shorter than I thought it would be. Um, but I needed to go back to the drawing board and I just hadn't realized that. And I hadn't allowed myself to see that there were a lot more possibilities and many more models of practice than what I had seen before. Yeah. And I have the exact same story. I was ready to give up my license. I had been at home with the kids for a while. I was convinced I was not going back into practice and I was going to give up my license. My husband said, hell no. Oh no, you don't. He said, I'll write the check for your, uh, your college of chiropractors registration this year, if you're not going to, but there's no way you're giving up your license. And I'm so glad that he loved me enough to say, nope, that's not you. That's where you're at right now, but that's not you. And, um, I don't know how many years ago that was now that has to be like seven or eight years ago. And I'm, yeah, I'm so thankful that I didn't give up my license, but it just goes to show that you can get to the point where things are just so overwhelming and you feel like you're drowning all the time that it just doesn't seem worth it anymore. That's exactly what led me to that point. I left my job at Logan because I went to school at Logan to be an entrepreneur and then found myself working at Logan and it was stable and it was safe. But then after my first baby came and I was back to work full time for a few months, I realized this isn't working for me anymore. This doesn't allow me to have as much time with her as I want to have her. And I just always feel pulled in two directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now is the time for me to start my practice so that I can have more freedom. But I went into that practice only knowing that if I worked really hard, that I'd be successful. And what really hard meant to me at that time was all of the time. Like literally the time you wake up, the time you go to bed, every day of the week, I was on. My office phone was forwarded to my cell phone, so I never missed a phone call. I could schedule patients from anywhere. to verify insurance at home. I was always working. So the turning point for me was when my next baby was on the way, who was my second baby. 
and I knew that I couldn't keep working as hard as I was and then have another baby, a brand new baby in our family as well. So that was the time that I decided to hand over the keys to my practice to another doctor. And I thought that I was no longer a chiropractor. I thought that was the end of my career in chiropractic. And um, I don't know why, looking back on it, I was like, oh, my career is over. <laughs> um, kind of silly to have such short foresight, but it was really, it was a really, really hard phase, not just for me, but also for my husband. And then I'm sure for my daughter too. I think it's um, not short-sighted. It's that we lacked the modeling of somebody else who was going through it and would get through it. Like when I looked at the women who were my mentors at the time, the, the, you know, the people who I looked up to and the only women that I knew who had successful practices, they were all in practice full time. And I think most of them, they're like, they were older, their kids were gone and out of the house or some of them didn't have kids. And I just, I did not know any woman chiropractor who at least was admitting to struggling with being in practice and dealing with all the, you know, the mom stuff. And here are some strategies that I've used to get through it. So what I saw was you were either in or you were out. And what I really saw was so many women after their second child, that's when they left practice. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to go into coaching because that was the same thing for me. When I had Jenna, my whole mindset shifted and I really felt like, well, I've either got to have it this way or I've got to have it that way. And there were only two options. And so I chose the option for a while to stay home because I didn't think there was a way that I could do chiropractic the way I wanted to and still be a good mom. So I think um, that's what's great about all these wonderful communities that we have now of women chiropractors who are being really honest and authentic and real about how we feel. And it's great that you had two people say to you this week that they're not sure how to deal with the burnout because I didn't have anybody to talk to. It never even occurred to me to talk to another woman chiropractor about it. And maybe if I had, I would have done things differently, but we didn't have communities of women back in the early 2000s talking about it. So, but now we do. So that's great. So let's talk about what what are some reasons you think that women are feeling burnt out? And then what are some solutions to it? Or what are some of the questions that maybe we should be asking or some thought processes we should go through? I think one of the most important solutions that we can implement for ourselves is to make sure that we are taking good care of ourselves. And that doesn't necessarily mean to me like you have a massage once a month. Massages are nice, but to me, it doesn't really feel like it recharges me um, in a sustainable, lasting way. Because Mm -hmm. after the massage is over, I go home to my crazy kids again. (laughs) But I need something that I do on a regular basis, like daily, that helps me to disconnect from the noise and the chaos that is having a, a home of four daughters and a husband that's always starting a new project and gone a lot at the same time. So self-care for me is like daily meditation, journaling a lot and intentional movement. I used to call it exercise. Now exercise feels like it needs to fit in these certain parameters. And if I just say intentional movement, I can let that be whatever I feel like doing that day. (laughs) And I think the more demands we have on our time, the more we need to plug white space into our schedules. And 
Ladies, I will tell you, if you're listening, I can almost guarantee you with very few exception that you don't have enough white space in your schedule. We just, we try and cram way too much into our days. And so we feel like we're constantly running. And if we probably hacked out about half of what we put into our day that we tell ourselves we have to, but the reality is you don't, right? If you go back to the podcast that I did where I was talking with Kate Antonetti and I was talking about you get to call Dakota on your runaway stagecoach and those runaway horses stop anytime you decide. But you have to remember that you are the one holding the reins and you get to say, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm just not. Or I'm not doing this or I am doing this. But leaving more time in between errands, in between um, projects, in between work and home, those kinds of things, and just allowing yourself a slower, easier pace makes a huge difference in that feeling of burnout and overwhelm. That was one of the things I didn't know to do when I was extremely overwhelmed in life and in practice was to create more white space. I really felt like I needed to cram in as much as possible to be successful. And again, it was really short-sighted to operate that way, but that's what I thought I needed to do. But, you know, we weren't raised with having to think about white space. You know, when you think about when we're, we're kids and the era that we grew up in without um, Netflix and cell phones and people having constant access, there was no such thing really as needing white space when we were younger. I think really a lot of it has come about because of technology that people do have constant access to information. I find it's hard in the middle of a mealtime when, you know, when the kids say, well, what is the capital of Indiana or something like that? And not that I don't know what the capital of, actually, I don't know what the capital of Indiana is, but I want to Google it. You know what I mean? Like if, if, if we're talking about something and people don't know the answer to it, automatically somebody is like itching and we don't have any technology at the table, but I find even now it's hard not to go and grab my phone and go, I want to know the answer to it. So that's kind of how we're wired now to be constantly in touch. And this idea of having to intentionally disconnect a little bit and plan out your, your not doing anything. is so counterintuitive. Yes. And that's a great segue into the next point that I wanted to discuss, which is boundaries, Mm. setting boundaries, can be, it can feel hard, but we've got to give ourselves permission to make boundaries easy. And one that I recently come back to that I used to have as a practice is not using my cell phone in the hours of 6 to 9 p.m. as often as possible. And I'll tell you, there are times that I find myself picking up my phone during that time. And then I realize like, wait, it's 7.30, put the phone down. Um, or like if I forget to, you know, turn the sound off and I hear it ding and then I go pick it up or I start to head toward it. Then I remind myself, this is time without my phone. Mm -hmm. So that's a boundary for me. Um, I needed to put that in place to model for my husband even because he's, um, he has two cell phones. He has one for work and one that's his personal phone. And he might be like checking Twitter and socks on his personal phone. And he's checking email on his work phone and I'll ask him a question and he doesn't even realize that I'm talking to him. (laughs) So when I now say, dude, put down your phone and he looks over at me and sees, I don't actually have my phone either. 
then he knows that um, he can't just come back at me with like, well, you're always on your phone too. So that's a boundary that I've set and implemented for myself. And, you know, boundaries can look different for everybody. One that I think is a common one is letting people leak onto your schedule at varying places. So maybe you intend to be home for dinner at six o'clock with your family, but you're letting people schedule at 5.30, which means you don't get home till 6.30 or seven uh, because they're asking for later appointments. And, and at first it seems like a good idea, you know, to be there for them at that time, but then it starts to wear you down. Mm-hmm. So you've got to set that boundary and be clear. And I find even just sharing with my patients, this isn't for everyone, but sharing with my patients why I have that boundary in place. And it's important for me to be home with my family. Well, I am home with my family all day because my office is at home. But to be able to have this designated time with my family so that we can eat dinner all together at the table on a regular basis. Yeah. Most people are not living their lives that way these days. Most people are living their lives in a really chaotic way. So when you set that example for them, you, you're leading by example. That's important. Yeah. And I can't imagine a patient not understanding if you say, I'm sorry, that's our family time. Like, what are they going to say? Well, I hear stories of that happening often. And that's, again, another segue into the next point, which is to really know who your ideal patients are. If you have a lot of patients in your practice that are asking you to extend your hours for them so that they can come when it's convenient for them, they're not your ideal patients, Mm -hmm. but who is? And create clarity on who that person is. Know that you want to focus your marketing and practice awareness efforts on your target market or your ideal patients and fill your practice with those people. When you get in alignment with who your ideal patient is, it gets a whole lot easier for them to just start showing up in your life. And it's the posture around how you say things. I, I like, honestly, I almost never have conversations with patients around coming in outside of hours. It like, it literally almost never, ever, ever happens because uh, when I tell them what my hours are or, you know, when they're booking or not booking or whatever, it's, there's such clarity around it. It just is what it is. I think for most patients, they wouldn't even consider asking outside of it because I bring a certain posture to it that this is what I'm here for you. And then this is what I'm here for my family. I think it's important to add a reminder that ideal patient avatars are best when they are a singular person. So when I ask someone who their ideal patient is and I hear the response of women that are between the ages of 25 to 65, I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of different people. And they have different challenges, you know, from 25 to 35 to 45, 55, 65, you're in a whole different phase of life in each one of those decades. Mm -hmm. And they're they're using different ways of finding resources too. So someone at 65 may not be on Instagram, but if you really know that your ideal patient is 25 and a female who's interested in health, she's probably on Instagram and you may want to be able to utilize Instagram well to help build the awareness about what you do in your practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So the more clear you can get on a singular avatar for who your ideal patient is, the more effective it will be. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's important to again, reiterate that having more of your ideal patients in your practice 
helps you to honor your boundaries, but it also protects your energy so that you're not feeling like you're around energy vampires all day. Yeah. You want to feel with every single person who walks through the door. Oh, I love that person. Oh, I love that person too. That's, I mean, that's ideally how you want to feel about everyone who's in your practice. And there's always going to be the odd person here and there, but ideally you really truly want to build a practice full of people that you look forward to seeing and, and they look forward to seeing you. You know, talking about boundaries, Danielle, I think it's important to speak about boundaries within our family as well with our husbands or our partners and with our Mm -hmm. kids. And I find it's crazy today how few boundaries kids have. Like they just are raised in this culture where it seems to be all about them and they don't seem to realize that they can't actually have exactly what they want whenever they want it, whether it's from us, whether it's from their teachers, whether it's from their coaches or whoever. They're, everything is so them-focused that I think um, we have to make sure when we're talking about boundaries with our work that we are able to speak in terms of boundaries with our kids, that our kids know, you know, when I'm at work, I'm working, and short of an emergency – like, I'm not going to answer your texts or your phone calls, or uh, I'm not going to solve your problems. I'm busy solving the problems of other people. And so you have to go to your dad or you have to go to your babysitter or, you know, whoever it is that's looking out. It's let's place some clear boundaries around it. Here are the situations where you can interrupt me at work. They have to understand And with examples and with scenarios that you actually role play with them, these are the okay reasons to contact me at work. But other than that, it's really distracting and it's not fair to the people that I'm there to serve. So here are the other people who can help you solve your problem. But more than anything, I want to see you trying to solve it yourself. And with husbands too, like I do, I try and do work at home at night for a couple of reasons, but I certainly don't do it every night, but there are a lot of times during the week where I find I'm having to take time out of my work day in order to do something to do with the family. And it's great that we, you know, as small business owners, we have the flexibility to be able to do that. But what it means is that I might not be able to get my x-ray reports done during the day. And so therefore they have to be done at night. Or if I've seen a new patient right before dinner time. And then as soon as I finish, dinner's on the table. Well, I can either go upstairs and finish my notes for that new patient and hold up dinner for 20 minutes. I work at home, by the way. Or I can just literally walk to the kitchen table, sit down and eat. But that means that I need to do that charting after dinner sometime. So, you know, Craig and I have had to have conversations where I've had to say to him, On the nights that I need to work, it's usually because I'm replacing hours that I didn't get during the day because of this, that, or the other thing. Our daughter had to go to a doctor's appointment. I drove her. There goes half my day, so therefore I need to make it up. And just having that conversation, I find, helps him understand this is not me. This is not just me with my laptop open because I'm Googling something or other or I'm fooling around on Canva or I'm, you know, whatever. I'm actually doing work because I have to make up time because I like to put in a certain number of hours of work in a week. And he understands that. Um, And then we have certain times, like Sunday, we've really had conversations recently around even just the work we get done around the house. 
let's make Sunday a day of rest. We need to have one day where we're really not doing anything. So we're saying no to just about everything so that on Sundays we can sit and enjoy our kids and enjoy our pool and have some fun and just relax a little bit. So boundaries fall within every realm of our lives. And I think just having a lot of communication with all of the people in our lives is really important. Thank you for saying that. That's so key and easy to overlook. I, you know, with little ones at home have all kinds of boundaries of my own that I feel like are crossed. They're physical space boundaries and, you know, like using my things boundaries and Mm -hmm. get out of my makeup boundaries. Um, But I last weekend sat down and made a schedule so that my husband could see if he takes on an extra project or says yes to an extra side job, that this is what he's saying no to instead. So I put like family dinner night, I put date night, um, girls, girls night for me with the girls, time that he has with the girls, time for me to have time for myself. And I scheduled those things out for the week so that they happen on a recurring basis. And so that when he says, well, so-and-so asked me to do this with him on Thursday night. And then he's looking at me like, is she going to say no? (laughs) And then I can say, okay, that's fine. But if you're going to go do that on Thursday night, then I'll need a different night to go spend some time by myself outside of the house without kids. Because that's what you would be saying no to if you went and did that Thursday night. And when I showed this to him, he was like, oh boy, she's getting really (laughs) serious about this whole do less thing. (laughs) Um, So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Now on that note, um, speaking of doing less, I think our last point to share is that we can always come back to making sure that we're delegating, automating, or deleting as much as possible. And as an entrepreneur or a business owner, a practice owner needs to look at what things are the most valuable for you to be spending your time on, which for most of us is patient care, and then also things that help us grow our business. And if there are tasks that you're repeating on a regular basis that someone else can do, it might be time to consider having someone else do those tasks for you. Mm -hmm. For example... Um, there are some things that you could maybe automate like, um, batching your blog post or batching your email newsletter so that you just take one day out of the quarter, bang those things out. And then you don't have to spend the mental space on it for the rest of those 90 days and deleting, just deleting, deleting is so freeing. Like thinking that you should have a blog post every month, but Mm. if you don't do it, and nothing bad happens, but you continue to beat yourself up about not doing it, thinking that you should do it, can you just let it go? You got to look at where it falls on the list and don't be afraid to delete it. Like I think when you're talking about deleting tasks, if it doesn't directly earn you income or prep you for earning income or involve spending time with your spouse or your children pouring into them, then consider deleting it or delegating it. Like really, we're at the point now where all of those three things, income earning, prep for income earning, and just spending time with the people who matter most to us, 
that pretty much takes up all of our time. So if you've got other things that are going on in your list, other than that, you probably should get it off the list somehow, either by delegating it or deleting it. Yes. And that also makes you really aware of how you're spending your time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yes. Delegating is a big thing as women. We, for, why is it that we do not want to delegate things or share household responsibilities with our husbands? Hmm. Or even someone else, like outsourcing, having someone, there's someone cleaning my house right now as we're recording this podcast episode. But if mm-hmm. I was choosing to be cleaning my house right now, we wouldn't be cleaning, we wouldn't be recording this podcast episode. This is an income producing activity for us. Mm-hmm. It's not an income producing activity for me to clean the house. So yeah, it is tough. It was hard for me to delegate the cleaning of the home, but it was just something that I knew I needed to do. Well, and part of it is spending. We feel so guilty when we spend money on ourselves and on our practice. And we have to get over that. We have to see, we have to see investments in our business as just the way our husbands would. And my husband does not think of spending thousands of dollars on coaching or, uh, you know, a, a piece of software or machinery or something like that, that we need for the office. For me, I would, I, I agonize over spending a few hundred dollars on strategy calls or, um, I was just telling you before we hit record that I took on a new coach just for like a series, a short series of calls. I gave her my budget. I told her, this is what I'm looking for. Can you help me? And so we figured out based on that budget, how many calls and of what length they were going to be. And that's like, for me, I, I agonized over it. And then all of a sudden I asked myself, would Craig agonize over this? Cause it's not actually that much money. And I was like, hell no. So I just sent her a check. Actually, I didn't send her a check. I gave her my visa number. So <laughs> like our, we are business people and our businesses cost money and the skills that we need to have to run our business require a certain amount of investment. We have to stop agonizing and feeling guilty over spending money on ourselves because what we do brings money into the family. And on the flip side, I think it's important this idea of having a discussion with your spouse about the various household tasks that we have, because I think a lot of our spouses would love to help really your, your spouse. I will tell you this after many years of marriage and many kids who are not so young anymore. It took me until just a couple of years ago to realize all my husband really wants is for me to be happy. That's what makes him the happiest. That's what makes him feel like he is the man when he sees me walking around feeling happy and peaceful. And so if I tell him, I feel like I'm doing all the gift buying, the card buying, setting up the family events, doing the laundry, making the meals, doing the grocery shopping, unpack the grocery, like I can't do it all. First thing he says is, well, what can I do? I can do half. Why don't I do the laundry? Why don't I do the grocery shopping? Why don't I do all of my family's gifts and you just do your family's gifts? And he was so happy to just say, I'll take half. You're working. I'm working. You don't have to do everything. He just thought that I wanted to because I had always done it. But he's like, I don't have to do it. We just never had, like, I'm talking 15 years of marriage. We never had the conversation. He said, I just thought you wanted to do it all because you always do it all. Wow. (laughs) Dude, that's a good conversation. He said, I actually really like doing laundry. I said, get out. I friggin' hate that laundry. <laughs> so it's, it's been so different since we had that conversation, but it's when I really realized, you know, he truly does just want me to be happy. And your husband is probably the same. 
they just sometimes don't have a flipping clue what it takes. So we just need to tell them. Absolutely. And it's part of delegating. Yes. Okay. Before we do a quick, a quick recap of these points, I want to let our listeners know that if you are needing help with defining your ideal patients, setting boundaries, encouragement for a self-care routine, um, or more, then there are resources available for you in the Aligned Women Team group coaching membership. Um, scheduling a strategy session with Dr. Shauna is another great option if you're feeling like you are really clear on what the problem is and you want to get really clear on what the solution is. That's her expertise. So you can find more info about those things on our website at alignwomen.com forward slash work with us. All right. So we talked about self-care and the importance of self-care and our enjoyment of practice and why it's important for us to attract our ideal patients who we love seeing on our schedule, setting clear boundaries, honoring those boundaries, being consistent with those boundaries, and then delegating, automating, and deleting tasks as much as possible. I hope this episode was helpful for our listeners today, and we will see you back here next week for a brand new episode of the Aligned Women podcast. Have an awesome week, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Aligned Women podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, we would love for you to head on over to iTunes and hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join the community of amazing women doctors in our free private Facebook group, Mama Chiropractors, by going to alignedwomen.com slash mama chiropractors. And if you'd love to fast track your success in life and practice, subscribe to the waitlist for the Aligned Women team group coaching membership by going to alignedwomen.com forward slash join. Have an amazing day and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Aligned Women podcast.